Well, the passage today that we're looking at is 1 John, which is toward the end of your Bible and in your pew Bibles, the Bible's underneath the seat in front of you, hopefully if there is one there, there is one there, but if there's not, please uh, follow, try to get one and follow along. I believe it's on page 1023 in the Pew Bible, if that's what you're using. Today the focus is on chapter 4, verses 7, through chapter 5, verse 4. And let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are here this morning with, I hope, the anticipation of hearing your word and hearing your voice. I pray, Lord, that the sheep that are here are looking forward to hearing the shepherd's voice. Because your word tells us that Jesus said, my sheep know and hear my voice. And so I pray, Lord, that above all things, we desire to hear that today. And for those who don't know if they're sheep or not, or don't know what they're expecting to hear, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, work in their hearts as we who are sheep need the work of the Spirit still in our hearts. We depend upon his work. I depend upon him as I stand here now, Lord. And I depend upon you to work in the hearts of those who are listening today. That your word does not go out empty and it accomplishes everything that you desire. So, Lord, let us hear you, Jesus. I pray that you would encourage us as this apostle desires to encourage the congregation that he is writing to. And we pray that you would help us drown out everything else that is vying for our attention. The sounds and emotions, the noises of this morning or this week, or the anticipation of what is to come. I pray, Father, that we hear your voice loud and clear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, lo in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we, may, we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, 
For since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do, to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen... who. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. At this commandment we have, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. And by this we, that we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Going to turn to John chapter 15 to understand this book of 1 John. You really need to immerse yourself in the Gospel of John because it's the same writer. And he pulls in many, many themes and says things and repeats things that he's already written to the church. Chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word, of, of, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you 
unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved you, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These greater things I have spoken to you that my Joy may be in you, and what your joy, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends, for all that, I have heard, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear much fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, it may be, it may, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." It's been a few months since I've uh, taught and, and given a message from 1 John, so I'm going to briefly, for the sake of those who have not heard any of these messages or have forgotten in the past three months what I've been speaking about, is that uh, the, the, the very age, very lovable pastor, uh, Apostle John, has been writing to this church, and uh, he is writing to them because there is some turmoil going on within it from people who were there and have left. They are teaching and saying things that are not true, that are not biblical, and, and as a consequence, they are now living a certain way that is affecting this church. Uh, this is the beginnings of what is known as Gnosticism, and they believe that evil, uh, that material things are evil, so consequently Jesus could not be fully man, because why would a divine, perfect, pure God have anything to do with an evil material body? That Jesus, when he when he walked among us, his body wasn't real, but it was like a phantom, like a ghost. And then, as I mentioned before, that as a consequence of, of uh, not being concerned about what we see around us, the material world, everything is, is spiritual and mystical, and that's where the reality all is. And so we don't worry about our, our, our life here, or we are concerned about what's going on around here, because it's all irrelevant, it's all passing away. Why do, we, why do we even bother with evil? So you can see the consequences of how that is, when that's lived out, 
how uh, awful and, and devastating that can be. So John, to encourage his sheep, writes to them and wants them to know and assure them that in the midst of all this, they are the ones who are with God. They are the ones who are loved by God. They are the ones who don't, who don't need, as these other people who have left, have this enlightenment and this enlightenment from wherever this divine spiritual world only happens to a few. And so John is telling them and using words in their terms, and he repeats it to make sure that they know that they're the ones that didn't get it. The ones who have left don't get it. They're the ones who are not enlightened. They are not the ones who are abiding with God. They don't know the truth. And so he gives them these tests so that they understand what is important to God and lays out these tests as he has taught them and has been taught by Scripture. The first test is a doctrinal test, a test of truth. And so he says, you have to believe who Jesus is. Jesus has to be fully God. He has to be fully man because if he wasn't, he cannot be our Savior. Also from that, he says throughout the book that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and if you love God, then you will love me, as we've read in John chapter 15. And he says in here, this other test is a test of obedience. What kind of life will you be living if a holy God is calling you and if a holy God is your Father, then how should we live our lives? We should live our lives as holy people. Saints, holy ones, and that we be, should be concerned to obey God. So, as I gave the very first message over almost a year ago, how we live our lives, how we uh, embrace the first coming of Christ, and what that meant to us, and how we understand his coming, what that coming means to us, how both of those comings, how both of those visitations, how do they affect our lives? And the, and the word tells us, and Jesus tells us, and John writes to us, that if we love God, then we will obey his commandments. And his commandments should not be troublesome to us or burdensome for us, but we will do it because we realize that we are pleasing God our Father. And then the last test is the test of love. The test of, of the social test, the test of how do we love one another? Because we've read from John's gospel, if we've read in this book, we've read that there is this love, this test of love that is very important to God, and how do we measure up to that? And we'll just quickly go back. If we look at chapter 2, verse 7, John tells us that this is love I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. And Jesus read, said that to us in John's gospel about loving one another and abiding in the light. And he says, if he is in the light and hates his brother, this person is still in darkness. So these, notice he's, he's comparing the sheep to the people who have left, or maybe even people still that are there that are bothersome. And these people are upset because 
if they're, if they're teaching that they haven't got it yet, if they haven't got the whole picture, if they haven't really attained the place where God loves them, then they're, they're insecure, they're, there's no confidence, they're, there's fear in their life. And so then he says to them, this is the kind of love I love, is the love of the social love, the love for one another. But in verses 16 to 17, here is a love that I hate, and it's a love of the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. In verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of possession sounds very much like Genesis 3. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, yes, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then he did a test for us in verse 11 of chapter 3. And he uses uh, Cain as the poster child for hatred and murder. And John uses very stark, provocative words, hate, murderer, evil, death, because he wants them to realize this is real. This is an important test. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where these others are missing out. It's all individualism. It's all about yourself. It's all about me and my spirituality. Forget about everybody else. And so he talks about this. He says, don't be surprised, verse 13 of chapter 3. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we loved the brothers. You see that there is something happening within the heart of God's sheep, of John's sheep. Something happened within them so that they do love one another. They do love the brothers. They do love other believers. And who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, which is very, very provocative. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And he's talking about Jesus, who is the example of perfect love. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, meaning that we, whatever we have in life, whatever is at our disposal, that we should be concerned on how the body is taken care of, that how we show our love with our hands, with our feet, with our lives, with everything that we possess, because then he says there, but if anyone has, in verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods, or the word is their bios, which is another word for life, which it means possessions or a livelihood. If you have a livelihood that is providing for you, then you have the means to be able to take care of your brothers and sisters if they're in need. Because that's what Jesus would want us to do because he gave his life for us. And then he, then he goes on and he says, by this we know in verse 19, that we are of the truth, 
that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that Jesus is God and Jesus is fully man, and that he was the one who took away all of our sins. He was the one that made us right with God. He is the propitiation that he's going to talk about. He is the propitiation of our sins for our sins, as he says in the beginning of this book. And propitiation has the word pro in front of it, and pro means now something positive. When God's wrath was upon us, he wasn't pro for us. He was against us. He hated us. We deserved the wrath of God. But because Christ giving his life as a substitute for our sins, he then takes away God's anger. He then takes away God's wrath from us, and now we are now in favor with God, as if we never have sinned, which is absolutely amazing. And he says, if you know this, and we are of the truth, verse 19 again, reassure our heart before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything because there are going to be times when we read the scriptures, and they may not be burdensome, but they may be startling to us, and they may make us feel that we haven't lived up to this. Is God going to be angry with us? Do we have to live up to a certain standard before God loves us? And the answer is absolutely not because, you, again, God can't love us any more than he loves us right now because of Jesus. And that's what he is telling them here. If you believe that Jesus has done everything, if it is finished on the cross, if everything he has done for us is taken care of, if this is my son who I am well pleased, then we cannot attain any more love from God than we have right now because God loves us through his son, Jesus. But because of that, we now live in gratitude, appreciation, and give our lives at the disposal to Christ to be used within the body and out in the world to be able to show the world that we love the Lord because of what he's done for us. And he says, if your heart condemns you about this, if you do not live this way or, or on a regular basis, if you have not perfected this, as we've read in, in, in Romans, in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't keep track of wrongs, love is this, love is that, and we're going, wow, how convicted can I feel right now? Is when I don't love like that all the time? Is God angry with me? Am I, have I lost my salvation because I can't live like that? And John says, your hearts may feel condemned because you, cannot, you may not feel like you're living up to this laying down your life. Maybe I'm laying, not laying my life down enough for my brothers and sisters. But he's saying, don't let that bother you. He says, he says, God is greater than our heart. God's taking care of all that. Don't be troubled with this at all. Yes, be concerned that you love God and you want to obey him, but realize that you are going to sin. You are going to fail. But that is not the grounds for you getting into heaven. Your ground for getting into heaven is the work of Christ. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence. How? He says, because of Christ. And this is the commandment, verse 23. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 
And so now he goes on, and then in, in, in uh, verse chapter 4, he talks about truth and error. He talks about the Antichrist, or the spirit of Antichrist, which he has talked about before. And I have mentioned to you that there are many religions out there, and they are peddling all kinds of spiritual journeys. And there are uh, people who are peddling a Christ that does not exist. They are peddling a Christ who says things that he never said. There are people who are talking about a love of God that is very different than what the love of God is in this book. And so he says, be careful. Watch out, discern, make sure you understand that there are, the spirit of Antichrist is out there trying to distract us, trying to think that we haven't attained to this place that these Gnostics are saying, they're there. And John is saying, no, they're not there, but you are because of Christ. So now in between the one passage of love of John chapter 3, and then in 4, he talks about discernment, about the spirit of Antichrist, about discerning truth and error. He then begins by love all over again, because love is very important. The gospel of John is just replete of love. In this chapter, in this book, in this passage, 29 times the word love is talked about. It is this book, this little book, has more about love than any other book of the Bible. It is mentioned more than any, anywhere else. Because they, they've, they've coined John the, the, the disciple of love. Because loving one another and loving God is key to how we live our lives. If we love God because of who God is, because of what he's done for us, and who Jesus is, and what he's done for us, and who the Holy Spirit is, and what he is doing in us, then we now are to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so he says in the very beginning here, in verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Now he's going to be talking about we're the source of, we've, there's been a commandment, he's talked about other things about love, but he's talking now about the very source of love. The very source of love is God. If you say you love God, then there needs to be something within us that loves and wants to love and wants to be loved. For love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God. You notice it's past tense. Something has taken place in their lives. Something has taken place in their heart. A transaction has taken place. They've realized at some time in history, a man died for me on the cross. A man died for me and took away my sins, took away the anger of God upon me, and now I am in favor with God because of Jesus. Notice, has been. It's been an historical event that took place years and years ago. He says, we have been born again, has been born of God. And now he says, and now, in present tense, we know God. There is an ongoing knowing of God. The born again 
time came someplace in your life, and that effect is still going on because once you've been born again, you've been born again. It's not something you are and you're not. It's not something you need to do all over again. If you've done it, it's done and over. And then he says the effect of that is your ongoing knowing of who God is. Anyone who does not love God, who anyone who does not love does not know God. So again, he's pointing back to these people that have left because these people are, don't love them because they're teaching them error. They're ostracizing themselves. They're, they're causing trouble within the body. And this is, I made a case for it last time, is that the only way we can love one another is within a local church. That's the only way. I made an argument for that last time. There is no other way that we can live out this commandment by God unless we are attached to a local body of believers. Because how will we love one another? How do we love one another if we don't know another out there? How do we, how do we go to people's homes and say, I'm one of God's children? There's nobody out there. There's no sign on their heads. There's nothing. But this is where the the people of God who want to hear from Jesus and who want the sacraments, the, the blessings of ordinary means of grace, the preaching of the word of God, the, 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 the sign of baptism, the sign of communion upon us so that this feeds us, so that we are reminded of who we are. And for doing that, then we will love one another. And how do we love one another? if we aren't in a place where we are forced to love one another. We can pick and choose the people that we love, but are we really loving people? Are you really tested on loving people if you pick and choose the people that you want to love? This is the place it happens, folks. This is the messy place called the church that we love one another. And there are times when we don't like each other but yet we are called to love each other. And can you imagine how we, how this church and how the church of Christ would be transformational if we really believe that on an ongoing basis? How the divisions in churches, the problems in churches, the splitting of churches would not be a part of anybody's history if we truly loved one another? He says in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son. There is no greater picture of love than God sending his Son to die for us, so that we might live through him. This is the source of love. God is love. John says God is light. John says God is spirit. John's the one that says this. God is love is a really powerful thing. But I've been in a church that had God is love tattooed on its, on its front of its sanctuary. And I got to tell you, for the few years that I was there, I had a very hard time feeling the love of God anywhere. From very few people. It was in turmoil. It was a very difficult place to work. People can, other religions can say God is love. But what happens is that they turn it around and saying love is God. 
Is every act of love from God? Well, it depends how you interpret love, is it not? Because there's many perverse, ugly things that are done in the name of love that have nothing to do with God. But he is saying that God's very essence is love. It's not to say that God is lovely even that he, or loving even though he is. It's like saying that my mother was a loving mother. But the very essence of my mother was not love. Because my mother didn't love all the time. My mother loved herself sometimes, as we do. We sinners. My mother's essence and very being was not love, but God, his very being is love. And cannot act any other way but in a loving way, even in his judgments, even in his discipline. And so that's why it's so important because we need to be careful that we are not going along with other people and saying, oh, this is a loving thing to do. It must be divine because not everything that is loving is divine. In this love, not that we have loved God, verse 10, but that he loved us. Notice it has nothing to do with us. It's not about our action. It's not to that aha moment that we've come from that changed us. It is that God loved us. He saw us in our desperate state, and he sent his son to die for us. And he's called us to follow him. And he showed us his love. And then he gave us the ability, as he's going to say, by the Holy Spirit to be able to see that. And who has become the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, verse 11, but it is better to say since. Because it's not an if, maybe. It's really a since. It's already done fact. Since God loved us in so much of a way, we also ought it's not if we choose. It's not if we desire. It's not if we feel like it. We ought. Why? Because we are the children of God. One pastor wrote this and he says, We ought to love each other the way fish ought to swim in water, and birds ought to fly in the air, and living creatures ought to breathe, and peaches ought to be sweet. And lemons ought to be sour. Born-again people ought to love. That's who we are. That's who we're called to be. We are called to do this because that's who we are. As you heard me the last time, maybe you didn't, but as I used the last time about resembling my father, as I mentioned how my son Philip had an internship at the bank I was working at, and he came there for the summer, and he walked in the door, and he was, he was walking around in the hallways, and somebody came running up to me and said, Jim, is your son Philip here? Because I saw a guy talking in the hallways, and he looked, and he sounded just like you. That's, he acted because of his paternity was me. And he is saying here, if we love God our Father... And we realize that he so loved us that he sent his only son to die for our sins. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
then we ought to love one another. And that's what this is showing us in verses 7 through 11. And then from that, well, actually, verses 7 through 10, and again, these, these outlines you know, are movable. There's nothing written in stone. It's just what I'm picking to kind of show you, and others have used other different groupings. But verse 11 is saying that we ought to love one another based upon what we believe, based upon what we confessed, based upon what has transaction has taken place in our life, we then, and our lives have been transformed, we no longer live for ourselves, we now live for Jesus. We're no longer dead, we are no longer dead, uh, uh, blind, we no longer live in darkness, we are no longer haters, we are no longer murderers, but we are God's children who live in the light, who can hear, who can see things that we never could see and hear before. And then he goes on to this motivation here in verses 11 through 16. No one has ever seen God. The Bible talks about that all the time. Nobody sees God as spirit, John says. No one has seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. They'll know we are Christians by our love. We will manifest the reality of God by how we live in love in this place. And folks, before we could ever love out there as God wants us to, we need to love in here. And we need to practice in here how to love. How love covers a multitude of sins. How we love people who are in error. How we love people who are making mistakes in their lives. Not to say that we don't say anything, but out of love we come alongside of them and correct a brother or sister. We do it out of love. They may not receive it as love, but we're called to do that. As brothers and sisters, People who want to sit under the teaching and the leadership of men who have been called by God to be their pastors, to be their leaders, who are caring about their very souls. And so he says, if we love one another, then God will be seen. The unseen God will be seen if we love one another. Jesus says they'll, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How many churches do you know of, and I've heard of people looking at out in, the, out in the world and saying, oh, that place is full of troubles. In the church, another church that I was in, somebody came in one day and looked at the church and the hinge was falling off the door. Just, you know, a really inconsequential thing. And this is a person that had gone away and come... And, and came back for some event, and he goes, oh, wow, this place will never change. What kind of reputation? I know what kind of reputation that place had in the community. If we love one another, God will be seen. Not the other paternity, not as it says here, are you children of God or are you children of the evil one? He said, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Now that means being made complete. That doesn't mean that our love for each other is perfect. If you feel that way, please let me know. 
because I want to see it. But we don't love each other perfectly. He's not saying that. Only Jesus loved us perfectly. Only God's love is perfect. Jesus never sinned. He loved us and taught us and lived for us in a perfect love for us. What he's saying here is that our love is perfected. The word here is matured, is made complete. That means that the more we practice it, the better we're supposed to get at it, right? The, better we, the more we work at it, the more we diligently seek it, we're supposed to be better at it so that it gets better because we are learning what not to do and what to do. We are reading the scriptures and we hear messages on what love is and what sacrificial love is. That's what he's talking about in chapter 3. That sacrificial love is the, the agape love that the Bible talks about. This self-giving love. And that's certainly what the first, the, the Corinthian church was not doing. It was so focused upon itself. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. The spiritual gifts, the love chapter. But listen to the condemnation. Or the listening to the terrible results of a loveless church. We all know love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast, it doesn't envy, it's not rude. We know all these things, and it says, well, we have hate, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Notice what verses 1 and, and 3 say, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What an annoying sound that is, isn't it? Imagine throughout the whole sermon, somebody was going like this the whole time. I mean, you'd be going crazy. And that's what we are like when we're that sound. If we do not love, and if we have failed to love, doesn't that produce that kind of deadness or that kind of irritation? I've been around it. I've been the, the giver of it at times. It's a noisy sound. It's a sound that we want nothing to do with. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have none, I am nothing. He says, I am nothing. Now, there's a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists out there telling me that I'm not nothing. But here's God telling me that I am nothing when I think I'm something. This doesn't build good esteem, does it? It isn't about esteem. It's about being right with God. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body, but have not love, I gain nothing. All the efforts all the generosity, all the good things that I do mean absolutely nothing. That's what a loveless act feels like, looks like. 
And that's what he is saying here. That's what we do. Is that we live this kind of love as John chapter 13 is telling us, but he's also saying that the very source of it is God because the very essence of God is love and the very demonstration of this love is self-giving love and Jesus gave himself for us. His act of obedience is that he lived an obedient life. He fulfilled the law. He never failed in one dot. In one cross T, dotted I, nothing. He fulfilled it all. He perfectly followed everything the Father wanted him to do. And then he willingly took all of God's wrath upon himself, which is called a passive obedience, meaning that he did actively do the, the, uh, the, the morality and uh, the, the morality of, of uh, obeying God's law, but he took, he passively took on our sin and the ugliness and how we smell in our sin and the anger of God upon himself. That's the basis for why we love. It's not easy, folks. That's why it says it's perfected. It's a process. We work here to get it right. But the goal, the demonstration, the picture of love is God. And then he says this, By this we know that we abide in him, and he is in us because he has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given the Holy Spirit to us to realize that we are a child of God. As he says to us in chapter 2 of John's gospel, of John's uh, epistle here, he says in verse, chapter 3 of 1 John, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. This is the kind of love that we don't deserve it. We're sinners. We're evil. God hates us for our sin. But when we see by God's grace, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible tells us that we can't even call Jesus Lord without it. And, G and Jesus tells John, John, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Until the Holy Spirit comes in our life and changes us, we are not able to see it. But when we do, we are thankful because God has sent his spirit upon us to change us. And when we have seen, notice, and testify, it's a proclamation. When we proclaim, when we eat and drink, the Bible says, at communion, what are we doing? We are proclaiming something. That's why you do not eat and drink lightly, because you are telling the world that you know what you're doing by eating and drinking. That you know who God is. You know that God is love. And you know that Jesus died for your sins. And you know that you can't earn one inch of favor with God without Jesus. Not gaining anything by taking communion or being baptized. But we have seen it. And now we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's what it is to have been born again. 
Whoever confesses, notice here this confession that I talked about. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, interwoven through the ending of this book, John now takes all three tests and pulls them all together because he's going to close the book up. And he brings them all together and he says, these three tests are so important. You don't take one from the other. They're all important. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, this is the doctrinal test, and God abides in him, and he in God. So, he says, we have come to know and believe that love, that believe the love that God has, sent, has, given, has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and he repeats it again and again as he did in verse 12. And by this, he says, in verse 17... Love is perfected with us. First, you notice in verse 12, he says, love is perfected in us. It has to be an individual change in our lives. It has to be something that happens to you and me. My goodness, my, my favor with Lord does not have any effect on my family or my children other than the way that I live my life and what I profess. But I can't pay the toll for them. And you can't pay the toll for anybody else. So he is saying here that this love is perfected in us because we understand that we are loveless until we understand who the love, what the love of God is and who he is in Jesus. But notice he says in verse 17, by this is love perfected with us. Meaning everybody. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, meaning that through us, this love is being perfected, us collectively, because now he talks about having confidence on the day of judgment, and he's talked about that in chapter 3, saying we don't have to worry about being guilty or be ashamed when we see Jesus coming. Remember I talked to you about the, my co-worker who said that what, what if, she said, if I see your Jesus coming, what, what, what should I do? And I said, forget about it, you're too late. And meaning that you're going to deal with the shame of your life because you've turned Jesus away every time you've had the opportunity to hear it. Especially for me, and I've been with you for seven years. We've talked about it for seven years. You've discarded everything. You've tr you respectfully dis you know, dismissed what they had to say, and I love you, and you kept on telling you, but you diss Jesus. So why all of a sudden he's going to want you now when he comes as judge? She would be shamed. I would not have any shame. You who love Jesus would not have any shame. Why? We have confidence because there's no fear of judgment. The wrath of God has been appeased. It's been taken away. We no longer are because the propitiation for our sins has been given, and his name is Jesus. He says, verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. And again, he's talking about the love of God here. For fear has to do with punishment. And for fears, and whoever fears has not been changed by that love. We love because he first loved us. We never turned our eyes toward Jesus until he looked into our face first. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, He's a liar, for he does not love his brother as his uh, love his brother whom he cannot see, 
or love God whom he, I'm sorry, he, um, I always do that wrong. Who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen, has, uh, has not seen. And he says again, as he said in verse 11, and this commandment we have from him, we must also love one another. It's not an option. It's our calling. It, it, it should be something that we desire to do. We should desire to be a part of a body where we can love one another. It is God's command. It is God's expectation. They did it in the Old Testament. They did it in the community of Israel. There was a community that was centered around all the tribes, and in the middle was a tabernacle. It was the very center of the community. It was not just people living here and there. There was safety within that covenant. You cannot do this alone. And now notice how he brings it all together. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ in verse 1 of chapter 5 has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That means we want to be around other believers. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Here is that, that obedience. Here is that morality test. That is, do we love God enough to know that we want to do what he tells us to do? And for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Notice what we talked about, the love that he hates. The love of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of the possessions. That's the love of the world. And when we come to know Christ and God changes our hearts, we overcome that. We are no longer in slavery to it. We now can say no to it. In fact, we start repelling against it. And then he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Just in closing, I just want to just bring your attention about the love of God, that, we, that it's never perfected, and God never gives us an example of, only in Christ that is perfected. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1, he says... For we know, brothers, uh, verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with conviction. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And then, he, and then you notice which in chapter 2, verses 10. He says, You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless we were in our conduct toward you. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom, into his glory. 
We thank God constantly for this when you receive the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but it really, uh, really as the word of God which is at work in you. And so he says that uh, uh, he desires them to be, he desires for them to be more loving. He desires for them to be more kind to one another. And it's, he's, he's already, he's already senses there in verse, in chapter one, he says that he, 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 he realizes what they've been done. He realizes that the Holy Spirit has been in their life. But he also says in there, I want to, I want to give you more, something that you're lacking in your life, he says. Oh yeah, I, I'm sorry, in verse, uh, chapter three, verse 10. I was looking at the wrong thing. He says, um, chapter 3, verse 10, As we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Their love was wonderful, but their love was not perfect. And Paul wanted to go to them to help them with something that was lacking in their love. And then he goes on and he says in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, He says, his prayers were answered, because notice it says, we also ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love for every one of you for one another is increasing. You see that there, we never are satisfied with the love that we give or the love that we have, because we can never attain the perfection of what Jesus gave. So, the, so as Paul prayed for each other, we need to pray ourselves and pray for each other in the church that God would give us a love that would be increasing, but that Christ would be that perfect love for us. And that we would be, as verse 12 says, be devoted to one another in love. Or it would say in 1 Peter, love one another powerfully. Love one another earnestly. That's, that's what a prayer of a disciple of Christ looks like. And I pray that you and I would join John in his prayer and Paul in his prayer. And we would pray that each other would pray for us that we would desire to reflect this love. This kind of love does give us a guarding against the work of the evil one. Because we've become so sensitive. We can become so distracted by little things within churches and within the life of God's people that they start to fester and we just forget that we're supposed to love. And I've seen it. I've been the recipient of it. The church is the place where my greatest loves and affections have ever been, and it's the place where the deepest sorrow and the deepest wounds have ever come. This place has loved me. This place continues to love us. But your love is not perfect. So I pray that God gives you the desire to not look at your what you've done yesterday, but to continually look at Jesus as that perfect love because he is the one who is the example of the love that God gives us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we ask you now to give us a sense of your presence in our life, thanking you so much 
for the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We, we praise you and thank you for being a God who works in spite of who we are. Lord, your word tells us that we don't deserve any of this experience. We don't deserve to know anything that's being said, but yet, Lord, you have desired us. You have changed our hearts to be these people. You have changed our heart to be like Christ, that we are being transformed into the image of your Son. Lord, I pray that you help us as we gather again each week, that we would desire to have our doctrine sure, a desire to live a godly life, to be sanctified in our lives. And let the world see the love of Christ as we love one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen.